Welcome to The Root of the Matter, brought to you by UPL. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you fresh ideas and insights about agriculture in North America. I'm your host, Ken Root. We are covering many areas of agriculture in this podcast series. In episode one, we met UPL's head of North America, Craig Breckus, who painted a great word picture of UPL's expanding role in North American agriculture from the Canadian prairies where he was born all the way to the cotton and rice growing regions of the southern United States. In episode two, I spoke with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist for Stonex, formerly Intel FC Stone. We dissected the March 31 USDA Prospective Plantings Report and his very informed view of the dynamic agricultural landscape for the year ahead. Today, my guests are boots-on-the-ground technical agricultural specialists from UPL, Holly Dirksen, based in Canada, and Lynn Justison, based in eastern Nebraska. Our goal of these podcasts is to explore agricultural issues ranging from agricultural products and technologies used by growers across North America, to markets and how farmers may be impacted positively or negatively by government climate change abatement. We'll get to know UPL and their open concept ag as well. Our past podcasts are easily available if you wish to pull them up on your computer or your smartphone. And today's podcast is right here and starts right now. So let me begin with Holly Dirksen. Holly, I understand you're in Winkler, Manitoba. Is that right? Uh, yes, this is the part of my territory that I live in, but it stretches across you know, the, the eastern prairies as well as Ontario. Tell me about uh, the kind of crops that are grown there and where you are in the springtime season right now. So mostly in this area, it's you know your cereals, oil seeds, a lot of canola grown here. Um, pulses. I also live in a heavy soybean area, so that's kind of the unique part of my territory where I live in. Uh, the rest of my territory is very much um, your wheat and canola, peas, things like that. Um, and right now in the season, we are just getting started. Things were looking very dry in the beginning of April, but warm. So we thought we were going to have an early season, but we got a dump of snow last week, which was welcomed because we needed the moisture. And so that slowed guys down a bit, but we'll be getting going in the next uh, week or two. I've always heard that a spring snow is uh, worth a million dollars. Might be the case this year, huh? <laughs> well, we needed the moisture, so we'll take it even if it's snow. Lynn Justison, you are in eastern Nebraska. Tell me uh, cropping conditions in your area and a little background about you as well. Yeah, I've uh, been, been here in eastern Nebraska long enough to call it home. Been here since the the, the mid 90s. Um, I grew up on a on a, a diversified farm in central Nebraska, cattle, uh, hogs and row crop. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been located here in the eastern part of Nebraska since uh, since the early 90s. So um, and as far as crop conditions here, we're actually pretty decent right here. Um, it's maybe a tick on the dry side and the soil's a little cool and all that. But all things considered, we had uh, we had a nice fall um, with with enough uh, with enough freezing and heaving to uh, to kind of loosen the soil up. Um, but you don't have to get very far from here. And there's a uh, you know between where Holly and I are located, um, there's a fair amount of drought uh, in those part of the worlds that are that's pretty concerning right now. Um, we're not in that zone, but uh, uh, yeah, it's a uh, 
right now things are pretty good. We're expecting planting to go along, um, should continue along pretty pretty well here for us as well, we believe. Are you a uh, big red fan? Did you get your education in that part of the world? Uh, I got my education in this part of the world. I am not a I'm not a Nebraska graduate though. I uh, I went to a small school in Kansas and, and spent uh, you know spent a total of five years down in in central Kansas. Uh, I am a big red fan. I am also in a uh, a house uh, nearly full of minus my son and myself. I have three daughters and a wife and a wife that's a um, a competitive volleyball coach in both club and high school, and then some daughters that have okay. that compete at pretty high levels in that. So we are big Red fans, but it's probably the volleyball, um, uh, more so the volleyball than the football for sure. Uh, back to Holly here for a second. I didn't ask you educational background. Where does yours come from? So I am a University of Manitoba grad. So I did my undergrad there and then my master's degree there in plant pathology. You have uh, a strong, obviously, uh, agronomic background, um, and I want to ask both of you this question. What do growers, in your view, expect from you? Do they want you to be smarter than they are in some areas, experts within your defined field, eager to help? What are the things that you think are the characteristics that they're looking for that you fulfill? Yeah, I think they they definitely want us to be experts in what we're recommending. They don't want just a regurgitation of a cell sheet or a product label or something like that. So they want us to be able to to share personal experiences that we've seen, especially, you know, local experiences that we've seen for the growers. That that's what they're looking for. But they also, you know, want us to be honest. And if we don't know the answer to something or if it's something we haven't experienced, I think a little bit of honesty saying, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll try and find out goes a long way. Lynn, I hear from other sources that you uh, have been around a few years and you've seen a lot of uh, change in the industry and have uh, prided yourself on being a strong person technically. What do you think that growers want in, in your area and are growers uh, becoming more and more sophisticated themselves? Yeah, I, 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 those are two good points uh, to to get around. I, I think they, I think growers still want the same thing that I think they they traditionally have. And yeah, I, I'm I'm old enough to have uh to to have some gray hairs, thirty thirty years in the industry and and whatnot. And I can remember before we had Roundup Ready and and we were and uh you know glufosinate tolerant crops and we we were a little more creative in things. So I can I, I certainly remember back to to those years of old for sure. And and the thing is, if you go back and you think about what what a grower and, and in particular what what that ag what ag wanted, I don't think that's changed a whole lot. I mean, they they're looking for trusted advisors. They're looking for someone that that uh, can give them the right advice, just as Holly said. And maybe if you don't know, it's actually okay to say you don't know. It, it's better to say I don't know, but let me find out and, and get them the right answers. I, I think uh, that's still what what growers want. And that's still want that's still what what uh, what our industry needs now. I think the thing that has probably changed the most, and and uh, Ken, you've been you've been around a bit too, is how we've got to that point, right? And how we get that information. You know, no different than today. Um, we're we're having a great conversation, but we're not doing it in front of a studio where we would have had to have traditionally done this and and done it on a reel to reel or even digital. We've we've taken and we've adapted to 
the changing times, right? We can do many creative things um, and, and do them more remotely, right? Uh, the last year and a half has taught, taught us much of that, but I, I think they still want the same things. But the thing is, is if a grower doesn't get the answer he wants or, or, or maybe it, he's not comfortable with it, his access to other places and sources is greatly increased over what it had been in the past. The, the ability to find answers elsewhere is relatively easy, honestly. By the way, I go back far enough that I actually could talk to some of the people who were ag reps when atrazine came out in the 1960s. And <laughs> their, their stories are almost exactly the same as yours because I don't know for sure, but I'm going to go find out. Or we're developing this uh, to the point that we are finding more uses and uh, greater ways of being efficient. The discussions I had with farmers and with ag chem dealers the dealers said to me, you know, we don't really like you guys coming in here from the company. You know, you'll go around us to the farmer. And so we got to talking to him and I said, you know what's happening? The farmers want to know things that you guys don't know. And I'm talking dealers here. They're going around you. They're going around you to any source they can find. So you've got to up your game or the farmer's going to leave you out. And I kind of think we're all in that shape that you know, the educational level of farmers across North America, to me, is astonishing. And the ones who are the decision makers are moving to being more and more technical all the time. So I'm curious as to, Lynn, I start with you, how that you um, find their technological skills uh, as they compared to what they were 10 years ago. So the technology skills are much better, right? You know, you're you're a Google a Google search away from becoming nearly an expert if you if you read enough, right? So I, I think that part is 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 a is very true, right? I mean, there's there's lots of things to get to that. Now the the are they technologically better? I, I think they are because they've they've they had questions to things, and if they're if they're inquisitive, they've dug into it deeper, right? And they and they've got they found and, and got more information. So I think growers as a whole are more technical. I think the other thing we see is, is and I think it, it kind of in that way, as growers get bigger, they, they need to specialize, right? You know, I, I think back to the, you know, the, the, the old thing is if a guy had cows and, and, he raised, and he raised row crop, right? He was either good at one or the other. You can't be good at both, right? It's just, just how it works. You have to have something you focus on and something you specialize in. And I, I think with growers, we're seeing that a bit too. I mean, I've, I've, I've worked with growers and have some growers in the, in the, you know, in the high plains that are large enough. They have, they have more than just an agronomist on their staff. They have two agronomists or maybe three, you know, they might have a guy that he's kind of their cotton guy. Right. And, and, and that's what he specializes. And then they'll have the corn guy. Right. Um, so they may have two different guys and, the guy that runs the whole thing and owns the whole thing, the, the gentleman I'm thinking of, he knows a pretty fair amount, but he doesn't mo know more than either one of those two, but he knows enough to know that he needs to hire them, right, to help him make decisions and to help lead him down those better paths. So I think in that way, I think maybe not only can not only technology driven better, I think the the top end guys are improving their management, if that, if, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense to me because – you know, it's surrounding yourself with people who know what you don't know makes you a much better manager. And, uh, you know, we have to face the fact that these farmers are in a very competitive situation. Holly, over to you on this. Uh, any area that you'd like to expand on that we just talked about? 
The first is that like I came from a position where I was very specialized. So I used to be an extension specialist in pathology. So I went from a very specialized position to this position, which I consider to be more of a generalist position. I have to know, you know, a lot about everything. And I just remember it was my specialized position, you know, speaking to growers at a lot of meetings. And I would feel like I had, was repeating myself over and over again. And, you know, like, I came to realize that, you know, as a grower, you have to know everything. And so that's why you have to get the same message two, three, five times before it really hits home, because there is just so much information out there, especially like with Lynn said, everything being a Google away, you know, there's just so much information out there. And I, and I agree with that. They need to become more specialized, especially your big growers. And I find that specialization usually comes in the form of efficiency. So tends to be that that specialization is in things like machinery um, and the mapping technology and things like that that are out there because that's where they're going to get you know the most efficiency um, out of that specialization so that's where they need to be because as a really big grower that's what's most important and yeah these these agronomists whether they're on staff in on the prairies here we've had a pretty big, big influx of consultants in the last 10 years where now a grower has to figure out the balance between, you know, your retail agronomist, the company agronomist, these consultants, you know, extension specialists. So I think there's just so much information coming at them from so many different areas. Let me turn to another question for both of you, and that is the mood of agriculture in your part of the world. Definitely we've seen higher prices for commodities. We're also seeing a little more uncertainty in other areas, but... Uh, Holly, back to you here as Lynn can rest a moment. What are you feeling from the growers this year as they anticipate a harvest that could have some profit in it? Yeah, things are definitely very positive. I know that this week especially there were some really good canola prices that guys were were selling at. So things are, are looking very positive as far as a grower and the bottom line. Um, obviously, so much of that depends on the environment. So you know, a month ago already, we were complaining about how dry it was. Um, and that's, you know, not across the prairies, but in a lot of the prairies, we had a very dry fall and then not a lot of moisture over winter. But as uh, one of my colleagues said last month was, we've never lost a crop in March. So let's just hold our horses here um, and kind of see what the year has to bring. But overall, things are very positive. And I, I hope that it's a positive in the aspect that we are also attracting, you know, young growers. I think that our, our ag colleges, you know, we've had good enrollment. Obviously, this year there was some differences with virtual learning and things like that. But um, hopefully, you know, it looks attractive for, for the young growers as well. Lynn, how about you in corn and soybean country and uh, wheat to your west? Uh, what's the mood? I think the corn and soy guys in particular are are pretty excited about the the year to come. You know, you, you get a little bit of the uh, the little bit of the well, they should always be this high, right? Well, okay, I, yeah, I, we can agree upon that. That I would like it to be that you know more constant like that as well. But um, the good part is, is you know, I've seen guys take advantage of pricing. Being this early in the season, you know, April May timeframe, um, you know, we have some crop in the ground, but it's you know, there's a whole lot of promise in the ground right now, and and we're a long ways from the finish line, right? So. You know, but we've seen guys take positions on that. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to lose money when you lock in a profitable price, right? I mean, that that's the whole trick of it all. I mean, we'd all like to hit home runs and do seven dollar corn, but if you sell a whole bunch of four and five dollar corn, 
you're going to have a pretty nice year, right? So I've seen more guys, it seems to me that it, it seems to be that positivity is, is that, hey, let's get some locked in. Let's make sure we ensure some profitability in what we're doing. Um, we haven't seen a huge reaction in crazy things as far as land buying and, and pricing and that. Um, we have seen an uptick of, of inputs. Um, part of that is, I think, is because the demand is a little higher because of pricing. And two, you know, we've, we've certainly seen some things where there's been some, uh, some bottlenecks in supply and fertilizer and, and some other products and those sort of things, too. So, you know, we just have to be a little careful with that and make sure you secure positions probably a little farther out in front of what, the, of what, of what you're, you're maybe used to. But th this is my favorite time of year, Ken. And, you know, we've gone over 500 several times in the national corn growers. The national average is, is we're creeping in on 200 as a national average, right? And I, I think that's exciting, right? I remember when I started back in the 90s, you know, in central Nebraska and some of the scouting things I did, you know, we had a quarter out there that, um, in, in this would have been in 1991, that the whole quarter averaged 238, right? Wow. That was, that was big news, right? That's huge. Um, and, and, you know, I, I happen to be part of that, that, that farm that, that, uh, we scouted and got, you know, be part of that. And that was a pretty special thing. That would be a failure this year. That same farm, that'd be a failure, right? I mean, it's not a failure, but boy, that was a rough year, right? I love the spring and here's why, because it's, I mean, we, we all are looking forward and, you know, we're making these planning decisions and, you know, geez, maybe this is a year I average 229 or 230 on my corn yield across every acre instead of 225, right? How do I add that four or five bushel? What are the things I can do now to ensure that I get everything up, everything gets planted, right? Everything we maximize and we opt, we not maximize, we optimize what that, that plant's opportunity is. And, you know, this time of year is, is great for that. You know, everything's growing and new and, and uh, uh, it's a great time of year for sure. And, and the positivity is, is very good amongst the growers. Uh, the wheat guys, Let's see how it finishes out as we move north. The stuff in the south doesn't look too bad. Again, just a little bit of rain here or there. We, we've had some some timely uh, timely moisture events, and I think we're going to be in, in nice shape in the wheat market, that winter wheat market as well. In a, a recent podcast, we had predictions from an uh, ag economist uh, who has pretty strong background in agronomy, and he said wheat will make a liar out of every time you try to predict the yield on it. <laughs> And uh, his concern now is that we are seeing some more cold weather coming into the southern plains. And I'm saying mm -hmm. this somewhat for Holly's benefit, because that cold weather in the southern plains will be the second time they've been hit this year by things that are unusual. And so it could see a reduction in yield in that area of the world, and that could make your wheat more valuable uh, mm -hmm. on as we go north. I guess in Nebraska, we're still in a major wheat-producing state but you're not the top wheat producing state, nope. so it's uh, it's got some it's got some upside to it uh, from more than just the agronomic side. But let me ask you a question about this dry weather. Both of you are talking dry weather. How does this affect the products that farmers are putting on? Don't they need some activation to get those to work? Yep, definitely. You need some some soil moisture in order to to have some activation of those products. So. You know, it depends on the product as regards to how much moisture you need. So it'll kind of remain to be seen whether we see issues with that. I mean, the other thing that you need to worry about, especially when we had a dry last in the last summer and this year is, you know, residual products that you put on last year. Is there any issues there as far as carryover into this year if they didn't have, you know, the time to break down with moisture last fall? 
Are you, Lynn, seeing any of this concern? You're, you don't have anybody that's muddy right now, do you? No, nobody that's overcome and overwrought with mud, no. Um, it's uh, Some of it would be more closer to, to ideal or good conditions, uh, not as dry as some. But, um, yeah, some of those those same things. I mean, the, the products I see, I mean, to your point, you're asking about activation, soil-applied things, something like a – you know, a moccasin, uh, moccasin product from, from UPL, you know, that's going to take about a third to a half an inch of moisture to activate that in the soil. So that takes a little bit there. I mean, you'll see things like Metribuzin and, you know, some like our Manicor or tri, our Tricor, one of, you know, some of our Metribuzin products, something like that is in that same range. But yeah, we do need some moisture to that. Now, I don't think we, we haven't had any issues to this point getting some stuff activated, but you're always, you're concerned about that. You know, the, you know, the other one you you think about as you start thinking down the road just a little bit is as much as you don't want to root for a disease, uh, you know, if, if you're going to apply fungicides, it's it's typically need to see some additional moisture with that just to, to kind of move that stuff along. Um, and, 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 you know, it takes some higher moisture level typically for diseases to develop. You know, that's, I think, uh, uh, one we're going to have to watch out for. We Maybe we see a little lower incident of disease. I don't know. The weather, you know, the weather kind of dictates that as we go along in the season for sure. You know, the other one is, as we've seen, you talk about that cold weather. The the other one I wonder about, too, is, you know, as we as we look at some of the disease things, as we blow rust and, um, you know, out of my world up into hollies and those kind of things, how, you know, how's that going to shape up this year, too? I think we're just a little early to know uh, just exactly how that's going to shape up as well. But that's something to be to think about. And, I, you know, I, as you as you think about where we're at now and, and, and the start we've got off to and then where we're going to go. Um, you know, from, from here on out and out to that, out until the, the finish line with that crop is, I still think the, the and this will kind of circle back to what we talked about with managers, Ken, is that I still think the key to any of this is, is planning, right? Um, what, again, your plan won't be perfect, but, but you can plan as well as you can and adapt as you go. You know, if you have a, a system laid out there where, where you know that you have your rotation, right, in, in Holly's incident right in, maybe in her case and um, or maybe something up there in the northern plains between her and I where you've got the right crop rotation because of you know the things whether you're going wheat and then you're going into canola or you're going into you know maybe dry edibles you've got that right but you also know that, that you know this is the year you know this is maybe my second year wheat on wheat I may have some more diseases and so therefore maybe you've layered in an additional fungicide or you, you plan for a fungicide application with that um, um, and then, you know, as you think about those planning things, I, I can't can't stress enough that, you know, if, if you if you feel like you need something, I would secure it and get it in my barn. So when you're ready to go, you can have your timing right. Just well thought out, well planned things from here to the rest of the season and just work that plan the best you can. I still think is the is the best advice for anybody. Holly, I'll ask both of you a couple more questions as we uh, finish up here. You've got a, a strong background in all the issues that go on with the plant. And. One of the concerns now is herbicide-resistant weeds. And I wonder if you feel that farmers are getting more of a grip on how to deal with those weeds, but if those weeds are continuing to spread, or what type of practices a farmer needs to put in place so that you don't continue to propagate weeds you can't control. I don't think that farmers are ignorant to the fact that we are having this issue with herbicide-resistance weeds, but... You know, the issue now is that our first couple of approaches to managing it, you know, have proven maybe delayed it a bit, but didn't prevent it. Um, so now we're moving to a few more, you know, intensive practices and 
one here on the prairies that we're really trying to promote is the herbicide layering approach where you go in with a pre-seed or a pre-emerge product and then you come in with a different group in crop and it just it really depends on our springs sometimes you know seeding is happening you know almost 24 hours a day they, they don't feel like they have time in that window to also be applying a pre-seed or a pre-emerge product especially if things warm up and the crop gets out of the ground really fast so It'll be interesting to see this year. Um, you know, we were having a warmer spring until last week, but that warm spring did warm up the soil. And then with the moisture that we got with the snow, you know, I think we will see some early weed emergence. So hopefully the growers see that as an opportunity to, to apply a pre-seed or a pre-emerge product. And, you know, we have seen really good results from that. Managing that weed population early has really helped as far as you know the bottom line and sometimes you know you can really come in with you know an, an easier product in crop or if you miss that exact right window in crop it's not as big of an issue because you did have a good pre-emerge product. Lynn you sort of laid this out earlier on what products farmers are using but do you feel like there are some practices they need to be more intentional about so that they are not uh, expanding that base of those resistant weeds oh yeah for sure i think holly is spot on on that deal the easiest way to control the weed is to never have it show up right in in, in a lot of ways of thinking and we think about those resistant populations it's a bit of it is our own fault you know we've relied very heavily on post-emerge applications of things and and honestly we probably let things get a little big and a little rambunctious and we didn't we weren't as good as stewards as we should have been. And what we find to help manage these is, is we have to have a, a good, solid, full pre, much like Holly talked about, and we can pick and choose the, the, the products in and around that that UVL offers to help with that. But something that soil applied and helps keep the population from ever showing up. And then with a, just as she said too, this is a planned post-emerge, right? This is, we're for sure gonna do it here. And we're going to do this. And we know that even if we don't see lots of weeds or we think we should wait a little bit, the time is now we have to go now and, and be very efficacious and very solid in our planning on that in order to keep those those populations down. And it's just as she said, is then if there's things we can do to rotate chemistry um, as we go along and through the years, that's that's all the better. Right. Um, um, we, we all have to do and, and, and work work that story much better um, all the way from from what we do, um, you know, as a, as a manufacturing company down to, you know, to our retailers and with our growers and, and have to be more diligent about that. Or we'll, you know, the, the scary part is, is we'll continue to lose tools that, that, that have helped make us a lot of money and we could certainly abuse them and, and cause issues that way. Lynn, one more question for you, and that's about corn versus soybeans. Growers are seeing some awfully good prices on beans right now, and there's been a big move to try to get them to pay as much attention through the season on soybeans as they do on corn and to be able to plant the soybeans early. Is that happening? Yeah, I think so. I, I think to an extent. I know this year's been, it's it's been an interesting one, Ken, that we keep talking about a, a really big soybean number, right? And and we continue to hear that. I. I just, I'm not sure where the acre is going to come from. Um, and, and you've been around long enough too. And as, as you look at this thing over history, we'll talk about more bean acres and then the corn carryout looks low and then it'll kind of buy the corn acre back. And at the end of the day, we maybe move around three to 5% on planting off of what, is, you know, what we do traditionally. So 
I think there is some more with that. Now, the, the first part of your question was is was around soybeans and, you know, how do we do that? You know, soybeans have always kind of been a secondary, in, at least in my world. You know, corn was always king. Corn was first. Soybeans are secondary. Um, but, yes, uh, to that, I, I mean, there's some there's some pretty compelling evidence that if you're going to plant, if, if there was one crop to plant now in, the, in, a, in a cool, wet environment, it might be soybeans. They may take it better than, than corn will, right? We've made leaps and bounds, much like we talked earlier in the corn, and soybeans haven't jumped near as much like that. And I think of some of that, to your point, is, is right on. It's, it's in and around management and focus with that. Now, we're, we're doing some things, um, you know, uh, both as a company and as an industry to try and get focused and more to that. But um, it, I think we are seeing some changes and guys have gone, okay, I've, I've done really good on my corn, but how do I, how come my, my beans haven't caught up, right? And I think it's back to some of the things we talked about. You know, there's a little bit of some management things that I think we can do more to be more intent. Um, you know, the, the Soybean Growers uh, Association, you know, the, their soybean growing records have continued to climb. And, and we've seen some big jumps here recently in that. But again, having to think a little bit differently and having to do some things a little bit different within the soybeans. And, and honestly, they're not just a plant them and then I'll come back in June and spray them and then we harvest them sometime in September and everything's done. I, I, we, we have to get much more purposeful in, in how we manage the soybean acre. Well, both of you have been a delight to listen to this morning and to be able to talk to you about the issues that are pending right now. Uh, of course, we don't know how that this season is coming out, but good management, obviously bubble to the top, being able to use effective products and to be able to use them efficiently. Holly, as far as I'm concerned, UPL's got a couple of winners in you two, and uh, I want to wish you the best in your growing season up in Canada. Thanks, Ken. And Lynn, same to you in the middle of America. And uh, may you not have a drought, and may you not have a flood down that Missouri River either and we get a shot at producing once again this year because growers really need a year that's got a good bump to it for them. You know, there's several growers that have gone through some years since the mid-teens that they didn't make much money. It'd be nice to be able to make a bit of a comeback and maybe uh, feel a little more comfortable at the end of this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. I uh, I look forward to that for sure. And, and uh, yeah, let's, let's hope we don't have a drought and, you know, timely rains and calm winds and and, uh, you know, we, we grow a, a good substantial crop and, and, the, and the market holds and we have enough sense to sell it when we can make money at it, right? <laughs> well, other than peace on earth, I think you've covered about everything. <laughs> yeah, we, could, we could circle up and have a little group hug if we need to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for your time. I do appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Root of the Matter, sponsored by UPL. New episodes will be available every other Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcast. Have a great day.